Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Colored Red. This week I'm doing another historical murder, and it's going to be a little bit shorter one this week. I'm working on a brand new case for you guys for a couple weeks from now, and it's a serial killer from Denver that I'll bet you guys have never heard of. So stay tuned for that. We have some new listeners, and I've noticed that we just surpassed 1,500 plays in total, so I'm super excited about that, you guys. If you guys like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor by going onto iTunes and rating it and reviewing it, and that'll help me out a lot. What I have for you this week is the case of a young boy who murdered a friend of his while on a hunting trip. Anton Wood was the son of German-Russian immigrants, Thomas and Maggie Wood. They had arrived in America in 1873, so this is a very old one, very historical in terms of Colorado, and moved west with six-month-old Anton in 1882. They settled around Brighton, Colorado, where Thomas worked in the sugar beet fields north of Denver. As Anton grew up in this rural community, he would roam the countryside around his homestead, hunting small game with an old black powder musket, and he was known to be a good shot, usually bringing home food for his mother to cook for dinner. On the morning of November 2nd, 1892, 10-year-old Anton left the house for a day of hunting. His three hunting buddies from Denver, Alexander Baker, Joseph Smith, and Harry Wyman, came up to hunt with Anton at around noon, and they decided to split up to cover more ground. Harry went off alone, and Alexander and Joseph stayed behind. Anton then approached and told them to come with him where there were a lot of rabbits, and then the boys all joined up together again later and split off in different directions again. Alexander and Harry went ahead, while Anton and Joseph stayed behind. At one point, Alexander and Harry um, heard a shot from far behind them, but they couldn't see the other boys, so they thought that they had just shot another rabbit. Later that evening, Alexander and Harry went back to a camp that they had set up to sleep for the night, and they assumed Anton had gone home because his house was pretty close to this location. Uh, Joseph did not return from the woods. Alexander and Harry then went out to search for Joseph, but quit after three hours when it started to get dark. The next day, the two boys began to search without Anton and found Joseph lying on his back on a mound in a prairie with his arms outstretched beside him. His shotgun was gone, and his pockets, where he normally kept his gold watch and chain, were empty. The two boys immediately went back to Denver to report the crime. Sheriffs Albert Holloway and T.J. Thompson, as well as coroner John Shivington, followed Alexander out to the body of Joseph. They noted small footsteps around the body, a gunshot wound in his shoulder blade, and a large pool of blood beneath him, which indicated that he had bled to death. The footsteps from around the body led directly to the front door of Anton Wood, which was less than a mile away. The sheriffs approached the house with deputies. At first, Anton's mother said that Anton wasn't home, and she wouldn't let police into the house. Eventually, she did let them in, and they found Anton hiding under his bed. After some questioning, Anton handed them the gold watch and chain that he had stolen from Joseph. Anton indicated that his father had taken the gun that he stolen, but the deputies found the gun between the mattresses of Anton's bed. It was then that Anton confessed to murdering Joseph. In the following months, newspaper articles and gossip were at a fever pitch in Denver. Even the coroner, John Chivington, who was known to never shy away from a chance to talk to the media, gave an interview to the Colorado Sun and said the following, There was something in the surroundings of this youth that tended to make him as he is. He was born out there among the rough, bleak hills. The boy had simply partaken of the surroundings. He is physically sapped and morally barren. He never had anything nice himself. He saw the poor, murdered lad with a beautiful gold watch. He coveted it. And the price seemed cheap to him. 
It was only Lad that stood in the way of his possession of what every boy most wants, a watch and a gun. The trial began on February 27, 1893. The prosecuting attorney chose to not seek the death penalty. It's bizarre to imagine that it was ever on the table to begin with for a child. The prosecution began with testimony from the two hunting partners, Alexander and Harry, who recounted their story of finding the body of Joseph and the events of the hunting trip. The coroner testified that Anton's gun was the one that fired the fatal shot, and the deputies testified to finding the missing gold watch, chain, and gun, and to the confession of Anton. A doctor also testified to the intelligence of Anton, and that he understood the difference between good and evil. Anton cried during the trial and said that he was sorry. The defense called in a doctor in direct opposition to the prosecution's doctor, who claimed that Anton was emotionally sound. This doctor for the defense instead testified that he was emotionally insane and therefore not responsible for his actions. Newspapers ran with this theory, some calling the boy a freak of nature. In the closing statement for the defense, they argued that first and second degree murder should be off the table unless the prosecution could prove that he committed the murder with malice and premeditation. On May 2nd, 1893, the jurors indicated that they were not able to reach a verdict, and the jury was dismissed by an angry judge. A new trial date was set for just two weeks later, on May 20th, and Anton celebrated his 11th birthday in jail. The trial was very similar, with the exception that the defense team brought up a new theory in regards to Anton's actions that day. They now argued that Anton had physiological and psychological problems associated with syphilis, that was contracted by his father, then passed to his mother, and inherited by Anton. Under cross-examination from the prosecution, however, the doctor claiming that the parents had syphilis admitted that he had never actually met Anton's parents and had not even examined them. The doctor for the prosecution indicated that he had not seen any evidence of syphilis on Anton. The defense then argued that the other boys had brought alcohol along on the hunting trip, and since they were slightly older than Anton, the effects of the alcohol would have a greater effect on the boy. His defense team also brought up the diet of eggs, potatoes, pork, bread, and coffee that Anton was living on. This was a standard meal for low-income families in Denver at the time, but it was brought up that this diet would have stunted Anton's physical and mental abilities, despite other children on this diet doing just fine. The jury in this trial deliberated for 12 hours, and they found Anton guilty of second-degree murder. Anton was sentenced to 25 years at the state penitentiary in Canyon City. Anton was 11 years old when he went to the penitentiary on August 8, 1893. The following is from an article from Farmer's Leader, a South Dakota publication. Little Anton looked viciously at Alexander Baker, the principal witness against him, and said, If I had plugged that boy, nobody would know nothing about the thing at all. The lad was then taken to the sheriff's office, and first thing that attracted his attention was the rogue's gallery. He called the sheriff over, and, pointing to the photographs of the dead body of a desperado dangling from a telegraph pole, said, I suppose that's what you're going to do with me? Well, I'll fool you. Anton Wood became the youngest person in the United States at the time to be convicted of murder and imprisoned. He took his first ever train ride into the gates of the prison. He was given a shower, he had his head shaved, and was sprayed for bugs. He occupied a cell by himself and preferred to have little contact with any other inmates, which ended up being sort of a self-imposed solitary confinement that the warden agreed to. He began educating himself and reading heavily. Seven years later, and one week after Anton's 18th birthday, on the night of January 2nd, 1900, three inmates killed the prison supervisor and then coaxed Anton into joining them in their escape. 
Newspapers in town reported that the boy with no conscience had escaped from the prison, but other sources indicated that Anton was in the wrong place at the wrong time and got coaxed into joining the other inmates in their escape. Three days after their escape, the group was caught hungry and cold in the road near the prison. Anton was charged as an accessory to the murder of the prison supervisor, but was later acquitted due to lack of evidence of his involvement. After this incident, Anton became a model prisoner in the hopes of having a chance at a parole. He studied many languages, was excellent in math, and learned to play the violin. His newfound maturity paid off on the morning of June 22, 1903, when an explosion along the south wall started one of the largest breakouts in the history of the prison. Wood observed a scuffle in the prison yard before the explosion and immediately rang the alarm system. One of the escapees figured out who pulled the alarm and then found Anton and pulled a knife on him, but he escaped the fight and ran to alert guards. Earlier that day, three prisoners had held a guard and two doctors at knife point and then put on their clothing as a disguise. They and three other prisoners then encountered the wife of the prison warden outside in the yard, and there was a scuffle that Anton had witnessed and set the alarm off for. The six inmates took the woman hostage with a knife to her throat, and they blew the gates um, in the front of the prison with a rag soaked in nitroglycerin and escaped, leaving the warden's wife behind. All six men were apprehended or dead within an hour. For his effort in pulling the alarm, the warden and prison board then lobbied the governor for a pardon of Anton. He was released under parole. He had served 12 years, 4 months, and 28 days behind bars. The family of the warden became charitable benefactors to Anton, and Anton left for New York to learn a craft. As a condition of his parole, he was given a job working for Roy Crofters, where he was going to learn a skill to enter the workforce. Many newspapers tried to get a hold of Anton during this time, but he had changed his name to Charles Henry Howard. Newspapers again went in full force against Anton, believing him to be a true force of evil and a completely morally corrupt individual. Here's a snippet from the Alamosa Journal from August 14, 1902. If the laws of Colorado are cruel and that they hold behind the bars moral perverts and social degenerates such as Anton Wood, then the conviction of a murderer is wrong. Wood is responsible for two men's lives, one of which was because he wanted to satisfy his desire for a fine gun. Wood's talent as a painter has attracted the attention of a Chicago artist who is now endeavoring to have the convict paroled for five years. The heel of justice should continue to tramp on the serpent's head, and young Wood should serve his time in the penitentiary regardless of his talents, the greatest of which is undoubtedly his aptitude for human destruction. Despite all of the public outrage, on October 13, 1905, Governor James Peabody granted Anton a full pardon. However, either due to being raised in the prison system or due to his own lack of judgment or both, Anton decided to send a letter to his benefactors only six days after arriving at his workhouse that detailed his dissatisfaction for the conditions of the factory. He also sent a letter to the governor himself, expressing his complaints about the situation. Apparently, he disliked the commune-like atmosphere at Roy Crofters, where all his earnings went to food, board, and clothing. He said that he would instead like to work for the Salvation Army. The letters were printed in the newspaper, and the public had more fuel for their fire, thinking he was being too choosy after being offered a second chance and benefactors to help him. But despite this case being journalistic sensation for many years, Anton, known as Charles, never offended again and was all but forgotten about. 
The story of Anton's later life is that he eventually married a woman that he gave violin lessons to named Mabel Terry, and she indicated at some point that she knew all about Anton's past. Anton, now Charles, made art on the side and lived quietly as a bookkeeper until his death from lung cancer in Minnesota on March 8, 1950, at the age of 68, showing all the Colorado newspapers that he could do what they never thought he could. A separate judge within the court system of Colorado who didn't preside over Anton's case ended up becoming an outspoken force in the development of better laws to handle juvenile offenders, being inspired by the case of young Anton. Judge Benjamin Lindsay worked to get an act passed that created a juvenile court in Denver, and this court would go on to serve as a model for the creation of juvenile courts all over America. Until that time, children were treated as adults in courts and largely subjected to the same consequences. Lindsay was made judge of the juvenile court in 1901. He was also a leader in the movement to end child labor. He worked to explain how extreme poverty, adult expectations, hardships, and neglect pushed juveniles to crimes and to further examine whether or not a child was liable for his or her own actions, especially when subjected to depraved conditions. In an unrelated topic, Judge Lindsay also wrote a controversial pamphlet in favor of something he called companionate marriage, where a couple would be in a companionate relationship and be able to live together for a year under the agreement to not have children, then decide after a year of living together if they were compatible enough with each other to marry officially. The companionate marriage would be a legal standing, but not have the full legal ties as a full marriage would. So, this is all a pretty interesting glimpse into life in Colorado and all over the country a century ago. And that wraps up the story of Anton Wood. In a couple weeks, I'm going to tell you about a man who had a murder dungeon right here in Denver, and I doubt you'll ever heard of this guy. I hadn't until I picked up this book about him. I appreciate all you guys listening. There'll be some pictures up on the Facebook associated with this case of Anton Wood if you'd like to take a look at those. So, until next time, guys. Bye.